0: It's, it's not always easy, and so this morning, um, if you want to open up your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke 24, and we're going to be in Luke 18, but Luke says in the 24th chapter, he said, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of, Je- of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? One of my favorite sentences or questions maybe in the whole Bible. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. It's what it says on the tomb This morning, He is not here. He has risen. Remember how He told you while He was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered His words. And so, this morning what I want to share is really, He is not here. The tomb is empty. And if you looked into the tomb this morning, there was no body in the tomb. Just the linen cloth. And it's exactly how the disciples found the tomb on on Easter morning, on resurrection morning, on the first day of the week. And so the last two weeks as we've been talking, we talked about prayer a couple weeks ago, transformational prayer, Jesus' last prayer, really his last words to his disciples before he was arrested. And then last week we looked at Passion Week, what this week was looking like from, from Palm Sunday through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, to Good Friday And there was a bunch of scriptures you were supposed to read and and homework. Hopefully you did all that. But I ask you in these two weeks to put aside the knowledge that you had concerning prayer, concerning the Passion Week, concerning the story of Jesus that you already know, just to kind of put that aside and approach it as if you knew nothing or knew very, very little of the story, just to kind of get a fresh perspective. Because so many times when we look at the Word We're very familiar with it. We know it because we read it. We know it because we hear it preached. We know it because we hear it in culture all the time being used. It's just something, because we live in the South, the Word of God is the Word that goes out so many times, and we've come very numb to it. So the same thing this morning, I know we've already done the Stations of the Cross, um, but at the same time, I want us to really set aside some of the stuff that we know this morning and just have a fresh perspective on it. You know, as we read the text this morning, we, we do find out some information about Jesus, that he's risen from the grave. And this is the most critical thing we take away because our faith sinners. This is the crux of our faith, is that he is risen from the grave. He's not risen from the grave, he's no different than Buddha or Muhammad or anyone else, but he's risen from the grave, and there's witnesses. There's there's external source documents that prove that he's risen from the grave. What this means to us is that death could not hold Jesus. They overcame death and the sting of death. That sin and death has been defeated. And life has been given to us. The ability to come into relationship with him. But the question, uh, you know, the, the disciples, or not the disciples, but the angels say, hey, he is not here. It really leads to a question. If he's not here in the grave, then where is he? And that's a very obvious question in some ways. But it's one I think we must ask. And in fact, Jesus. there's an incident with Jesus where, he's asked, where he asks a question that's very obvious and you're kind of shaking your head like, why did Jesus ask this? If you turn with me to Luke 18, we'll look at it real quick. It says in verse 25 of Luke 18, it says, As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Hearing a crowd passing by, he, inquir- he inquired what this meant. Jesus and the Nazarene is passing by, they told him. So he called out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Then those in front told him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy. Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. When he drew near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. Receive your sight, Jesus told him. Your faith has healed you. Instantly he began to see and he began to follow him, glorifying God. All the people saw when they saw it, gave praise to God. Going back to verse 41, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Now remember, Jesus is God. Jesus knows what's going on. The disciples briefed him, I'm sure. Hey, this is blind man. He's coming. And Jesus said, bring him to me. And he asked this blind man, what do you want from me? Now is that a dumb question or not? Maybe that's what we would say sometimes. He's God. He knows this guy wants to see. But he's asking the guy, what do you want from me? his answer is, at the very highest of, of, of ask, I want to see. Now he could have simply asked for a cane. I'm sure a cane would have helped him get along in some ways. Maybe he said, hey, I've been trying to get this cane, but every one I get is cheaply made. It's made in China and they break every five minutes or something like that. Or he could have said, hey, I want a Roman chariot with a driver who will drive me anywhere I want to go. He could have asked anything, but he said, I want to see. The obvious question Jesus asked. And so for us, there's an obvious question that we have to ask. If he's not here in the tomb, then where is he? And there's a declaration this blind man made. I want to see. He spoke life over himself. And for us, we ask that question. If he's not here, then where is he? He's in us. And that's the declaration we make this morning. Because Christ has risen from the grave. He lives in us. He is in us. And that's the declaration that each and every one of us must make. Let's make it this morning. He is in me. me. Say it again. He is in me. me. You know, the Scripture tells us that. I'm glad you said it. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you, you yourselves know that you are God's sanctuary, that the Spirit of God lives in you? Romans 8, 10, and 11. Now if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Then he who raised Jesus from the dead will also bring your immortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Three times it says that he lives in you. John fourteen twelve. I assure you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. He's talking about the Holy Spirit filling us and us be doing even greater works. God's not in the tomb, he's in us. There's three things I want to share this morning, three, three points I want to pull out from, from this question that he's not here, then what does that mean for us? Number one, it means we can have a relationship with him. That's so a broken record. In, in some ways, because you hear me say that a lot, we can have a relationship with Christ. And, and I think everyone in this room probably understands that. Yes, I can have a personal, intimate relationship with God, with Jesus, who is God. I can come in, into that relationship and I can read my Bible and understand God more and come to know Him. I can pray and come to know Him. And many of us shake our heads and say yes, but it's a little bit deeper than that as well. You know, many times we, we walk around almost like the man with the cane who, who asks, you know, the blind man asking for a cane instead of asking for our healing fully and completely. Too many times as, as Christians we can't come casually to the Word and, and say, well, I've read my Word but we're not fully engaging with God because it can be a little bit scary because He wants to transform us. We're comfortable just being where we're at instead of being fully transformed. Maybe you've seen the, the picture of the iceberg Anyone ever seen that picture? The iceberg, a little bit sticks out, but there's whole mass up under the water. Christians are good at being icebergs. We cover up some of the things that are here, the wounds, the healing that we need, the hurt, the pain. We cover it up. We put on nice clothes. We say all the Christian lingo. We do all the good stuff. But in reality, there's stuff underneath the surface that we're not dealing with. And we go Sunday to Sunday or month to month, church to church, whatever it may be, and we never deal with it. And everyone just kind of stays at that level. And there's there's some of you in this room that are at that place where you just kind of said, you know, God, this is as good as it's going to get because I'm just not willing to go a little bit deeper. And we're missing out on our freedom. We're missing out on healing. We're missing out on purpose and calling that is there. I remember a few years ago, there was a, a guy called me up and said, hey, I used to pastor a church. We've been traveling all over the country. Hey, we're in Greensboro, and we might settle down in Greensboro. And uh, I like your church because it looks like it's multi-ethnic and missions-focused. And, and uh, we, we had a couple conversations. And, and I knew they were coming one Sunday, him and his family. And, and they did. And I remember standing right there at the door. And they came through the, the lobby door. And I got this vision, this picture of him. And he had, he had five arrows in him. And two of them had been broken off. And these weren't fresh wounds. And I'm like, it scared me. I'm like, God, I've, I've never seen a picture like this of someone. I don't see pictures of you guys, all right? So don't worry. And they, you know, they worshiped with us once or twice and we had coffee once or twice. And the second time, he's saying all the right things. God's so good, God heals, God does this, God does that. And I couldn't dismiss it. And I said, hey, let me just share a little picture that I saw of you. You're walking around wounded. And some of those areas you've broken off and they're festering with infection and you're unwilling to deal with them. Let me, let let the church help you deal with that. They didn't stay around very long. Because people don't want to deal with it. We don't want to deal with the junk that's in our lives. But the gospel demands that we do it because God wants to transform us. The insecurity, the brokenness, the hurt of the past, all this stuff, God wants us to bring to the cross and lay it there because he is in us. We can't do it in our own strength. Only God can do it. And he's asking, are you willing to do it? And stop playing church. Stop playing, being Christian. We talked about this last week. Are you playing, following Christ, or are you really following Christ? It's hard to to do it fully and completely. It's easy to play, but it's hard to say, okay, Lord, here it is. I want you to deal with my insecurity. I want you to deal with my wound of the past. I want you to deal with the ice that's under the water because that's the most dangerous. That's what the Titanic hit was the stuff under the water, and it sunk the ship. Don't be a sinking ship. The second thing that um, knowing that God's not in the tomb allows us to do is to love others. There's a sign across from Guilford College. I always laugh um, at the sign, not not because of the message, because I agree with the message. It says, love thy neighbor. And in parentheses it says, no exceptions. Now, I don't know how many times I've come through there and there's been people holding up signs protesting. And the things written on those signs are in, in, in direct contrast to what's written on the other sign. It's not love their neighbor. It's love certain neighbors because they're easy to love. And it's love certain people because it's much easier to love those people who are like me or think like me than those who look different and think different and say things that are different than what I want to hear. And I just think that's such an irony that is there. And as Christians, we do that all the time. Oh, I'm going to love this person because it's easy. Jesus said, look, love your neighbor and love your enemy. He get both sides of the spectrum. But, it's, but we all do this. Oh, this person... I'm going to love this person a little bit more. This person I'm going to love a little bit more. But it's unconditional love. And we're called to do that. And we can't love our enemy. We can't love those who look different, think different, whatever, without the Holy Spirit living inside of, without God living inside. We can try in the flesh, but we're going to fail. Some of you have read the book maybe um, called The Heavenly Man. Brother Yun, who was in China, was um, persecuted multiple times. Most of those what they call uncles, the, the church leaders in China have been persecuted multiple times. Seminary is prison for them. So it, when they say, I've been to seminary, it means they've been to prison. But Brother Yun, reading the, reading the book, The Heavenly Man, he went to prison one time. It might have been the first time he went to prison. And the guards were beating him for his faith. They were, just, they were beating him simply because he believed in Christ, which was against the law in China. And he comes into his cell, and the guards tell the cellmates. Now, cellmates are 30 People more or less. I was in a dorm room in China one time, and we have two people in a dorm room we complain. They had 10 in a room that was about the same size as our dorm rooms. So there's 30 people in a cell, and you can imagine it's small, and the guards tell them, hey, if you guys beat him and, and are mean to him, kick him around, we'll give you rewards for this. So the cellmates begin to do this, and Brother Union just lays there, and he takes it. His food comes and he begins to give his food away. In fact, he fasts for 74 days, not just to give the food away, but for different reasons. But part of it was to give the food away to show love, unconditional love. And day after day, they would beat him, the guards, and they'd bring him in a cell, and the cellmates would also lay fists on him and do whatever. But brother, you would just lay and pray. And after some time, one of his cellmates gave his heart to Christ. Then another and another and another. And they begin to say, look, we see the way that you take the beatings. I don't know if that's, you know, a manly thing to say or whatever, but as you sit there and you take it and you pray for us and you love on us, man, I know what I would do. I'd get up and kick some butt. I know all you guys are thinking that, right? Big old buff muscles and and you guys would do that too. Just get up and kick some butt, right? But he did it a different way. The way that God calls us to fight against the ways of the world is so different than the ways of the world. It's to love. It's to lay our life down. The station in the back about serving others, exactly what Jesus did. He took off, took off all his outer garments, put on, a, put on a robe or a towel, and began to wash the disciples' feet, the lowest of all servants. Nasty feet, calloused up, cracked, because probably, they probably didn't have a manicure didn't have our pedicure. I guess manicure is here, right? You know what I know about this stuff, right? <laughs> didn't have his petty done or any of that stuff. And he just began to wash the disciples' feet, the humblest of all acts. But also went to the cross, went to the tomb. We can walk in love as Christ loved us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. The third thing that I want to point out when we say God is, is not in the tomb, but He's inside of us. It empowers us to walk out the mission that God's laid upon each and every one of us. We talked about this some last week, to know God and to make him known. We're to make God known to others as we know him. You know, I was thinking about this some um, this week, you know, Jesus told the disciples, stay in Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And, and we know the Holy Spirit came upon them in the book of Acts, and they, and they were filled with, with tongues of fire, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in different tongues and, and then they stood up, Peter stood up and he preached the word of God and 3,000 were added to their numbers that day. I was thinking, you know, what if Peter didn't get up and preach? You know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is some cool stuff, right? You, you get baptized in the Holy Spirit or empowered by the Holy Spirit, I mean, God begins to do some cool stuff. Maybe you just want to stay in that moment. Man, we're just going to stay right here, we're just going to write about it, we're just going to do this, this, and this. Maybe they didn't want to get up, maybe Peter didn't want to get up, he had a choice, to get up and preach, or just to stay in that moment. But he got up and he preached. The same with us. Many times we're filled with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, and we have choices before us to make God known, but we don't. Because it's comfortable. or Maybe it's too uncomfortable not to make him known. Peter got up and made a choice. For us, it's it's, we have to walk out the mission that's, that's been given to us to make Christ known. But again, it doesn't happen by us just doing our own strength our own way. It comes by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And really what it comes down to is the simple words that Jesus spoke in numerous places and that we find throughout the Bible that if we want to follow him, we must deny ourselves and take up our own cross means that we must die to ourselves. It's not having the eloquent words. It's not having the, the answers to apologetic questions. It's not you know, demonstrating this or demonstrating that. It's about dying to yourself. And as we die to ourselves, everything begins to radiate out, radiate out from that. Things we've talked about, getting out of the boat, burning the plow, slaughtering the ox, it's dying to ourselves. And when we're willing to die to ourselves, there's an aroma that comes forth that just people can't get away from. It's pleasant to their nose. It may be convicting or even piercing at times. Carrie's making some lotion this week, I think, and I came in the kitchen and it was so strong. I was like, whoa, you know? But as I got around it a little bit more, I was like, it smells not too bad. And you start to, to put it on, you're like, wow, it's the way the truth is many times. I was reading a book this week. I actually finished a book this week. It's uh, My goal is to read 12 books this year, and it's the first one I've read, so I I'm, I'm think I'm on schedule, right? Um, the thing is, I started this one in November of last year, so uh, I'm getting there. I've got four more I'm reading, so if I can get those finished, then I'll be right right on task. But um, Edwin McManus, who is a Carolina graduate, just had to throw that in for some reason, um, wrote in this book, his book, um, The Last Era, which I've been reading since November, um, just based on what I've somewhat been sharing as well, the story of Elijah. But he says uh, this, and I just wanted to read it to you this morning. And we have it up on the screen. That's gonna. I want you to follow along so you can visually see it. He said, while Jesus hung on the cross in the final minutes of his life, he uttered one word that has been translated into three. Do we have that, Joseph? That's all right. Oh wait, there we go. you start with the first one at the top the verse one maybe yes that's it yes so one word has been translated into three it is finished there's no more profound example of a man who left nothing undone who held nothing back who gave everything of himself and gave himself completely though it was a tragic death there's something strangely beautiful about that moment being able to whisper with your last breath one word that lets the world know you did exactly what you were born to do. In that moment, death has no power. Death has no victory. There is no regret, only a deep sense of fulfillment. I'm convinced that when we live our lives connected to the one who gave his life for us, when we live fearlessly, courageously, and without reservation, we will come to the end of our own lives And with our last breaths, we too will be able to say, mission accomplished or completed. And perhaps in that moment, we will hear Jesus whisper in the depths of our souls, well done, good and faithful servant. This is what the resurrection allows us to do. To have a relationship with him, to love others unconditionally, and to complete the mission that he's laid into our hearts, into our lives. It's not a game we're playing. It's reality. It's an empowerment that the Holy Spirit, who is God, lives inside of us, who strengthens us, who empowers us, who gives us all grace and all mercy and all love to be able to do this. We live in fear many times. We live in reservation many times. We live non-courageously many times. But he wants us to live courageously. And it's not us doing it. It's God working in us because he's not here, but he's here. And I want to encourage you, as you ponder more of the resurrection message, as you walk it out today, tomorrow, and going forward, to lay hold of this and say, God, what is it? Where is it? How is it? What do I need to die to? What do I need to live to? Go back through these sheets and begin to to really allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you in greater ways. Amen? Lord, we pray this morning that we will walk out the mission that you've given us. Lord, I pray that we will die to ourselves, that we continue to deny ourselves, and we'll fix our eyes completely upon you. Lord, we thank you for what this day represents, new life and new direction. Lord, so as maybe we have gotten off course, off of target, and I pray, Lord, that you'll just help us refocus our hearts and our eyes upon you. Lord, thank you for speaking to us this morning. Lord, there's those here who are walking wounded, have been dressing the iceberg nicely, Lord, but not dealing with what's under the surface. I pray, Father, you just begin to chip away at our hearts. Bring the healing. Lord, Lord, it's easy to say to to love our friend, our neighbor, but Lord, help us to love all people. Even those that that may physically smack us in in the face or verbally or whatever, Lord. Teach us, stretch us in. Lord help us to walk out and accomplish your mission to know you in deeper ways but also to make you known Lord thank you that that you touch our shoulders with the sword of the spirit and you commission us to go out into this world as ministers of reconciliation ministers of your gospel let's lay hold of that and do it boldly fearlessly and courageously and Lord let us hear when we come into your kingdom Pass from this life to the next. Hear that whisper of your voice. Well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, we honor you. We praise you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Parents, if your kids are in Kids Quest, we're going to take communion. If you if you will slide out and grab them, that would be great. We're going to sing the first part of this song during that part, and then we're going to come back and, and take. before us and you have the wafer and you have the little cup of juice but we're gonna invite everyone to come to the table one by one and to take a piece of bread and dip it within the juice this morning and take it you can eat it there on the spot you know the word tells us that the body of Christ was broken for our sins his, his, his blood was spilled for our sins as well and so we do this in remembrance of what Christ has done for us celebrate today because he's been resurrected so lord i pray this morning as we come to the table you prepare our hearts lord to receive the fullness to understand the fullness of what you've done for us give us new and fresh revelation lord we thank you we praise you we honor you that you gave yourself fully and completely to us the back, just, just come forward and go that way. This is oatmeal bread, so I don't know if anyone has any allergies. There is gluten-free as well. Little wafers you can dip. Just let us